Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, I need to research a couple protection from environment spells because it just freaking snowed again. Yeah, there were some uh, some of my friends on Twitter yesterday. Basically, Ohio experienced all four seasons yesterday in about 12 hours. It was sunny. It was rainy. It was blistery. And then it was snowing. Didn't we have a uh, a weather wizard in in one of our projects at some point? Uh, I think so. Have they gained consciousness and leapt from the page and are now real like Moriarty in Star Trek Next Generation? I guess the holodeck malfunctioned because I think that's what happened. I think that's all the holodeck does do. I I think that's like (laughs) written into the protocols because it never works as intended. Except for that one time where he came alive and then they trapped him in another holodeck that was the entire universe. Yeah, but then he got mad about that, right? Probably. Or was that the second one? That might have been the second time. I don't know, but we're not here to talk about Star Trek. No, we're not. We're actually here to talk about uh, the RPG Academy and related things. Um, We do have some Academy news, but we are going to move that to the end of the show. So hopefully you guys will stick around for that. It's some pretty exciting stuff. And uh, we're going to jump into some topics. But before we do that, we do want to take a quick second to thank some of our more recent Patreon backers. If you guys aren't aware, we do have a Patreon campaign that's set up. and We do have a, a number of generous patrons who send us monthly donations that helps us do what we do here. And Caleb, can you uh, kind of say thank you for us to some of our more recent patrons? Absolutely. We have a big list of patrons and we will get through everybody. We're going to start at the end and work backwards. Uh, starting here with Mikey McSee, Jonas Odenhage, Alejandro Pena, Spex AK, Joshua J. Racy, Tess Casey, Daniel Elwell, Fraxpam. I love that. Fraxpam. Maybe he'll come cook breakfast for us at a catacon. <laughs> Tyler Beckett, Quinn Wilson, good old John Neary, who had his first official GMing debut at a catacon last year, which was awesome. And John, I expect more from you this year. Uh, Nicholas Toep, and everyone's favorite mountain man with the crazy beard, Rob Stith. Thank you, one and all, for helping support our show so that we get to do this more and hopefully continue to get better and better at it. So thank you from us both. And as a quick little uh, foreshadowing teaser, if you are a patron, there is a very good chance that some sort of surprise will be in store for you if you also come to a catacon. But we'll talk about that later. So the last thing before we get into today's topics is we always like to take a step back and talk about why we're here. With these table topic episodes, Caleb and I like to share some of the wisdom that he and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we understand that the advice we give and the opinions we share may not be applicable at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, what system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you're having fun then you're playing the game correctly. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get into today's topics. We have several that we're going to do sort of quick hitty and just touch on them quickly, and then we're going to get into the meat of today's topic, which is about starting your own campaign setting. 
And this is something that Caleb and I both have done recently in the new D&D 5e podcast that we're doing. His being Rot Iron, which is the official one that's coming out on the main feed. And then mine, Dark Discovery, which is a patron-only exclusive uh, content. We're going to focus more on Caleb since more of you will have an opportunity to listen to that. And you might be able to have, whether you already have listened or maybe this will get you to, uh, hopefully. So we're going to focus on that. But before we get into that, I'm going to start with a fight I got into (laughs) on the internet. This is crazy. Did you know that there were people on the internet who were wrong? Yeah, I talk to them all the time. (laughs) Well, I have been very fortunate in my social media life that uh, I don't, usually get involved in those types of things. Partly as I do think I try to be positive most of the time. I also generally have the ability to kind of see things from multiple sides and rarely do I just draw a line in the sand and say you're wrong unless it's with you because then you know you're wrong. We're talking about one specific Twitter fight not the ongoing conflict that is me being right about movies and you being stubborn. You're half wrong about that. But, so this was what happened. Uh, There was a video that I saw, I think it was through one of the Facebook groups I'm on, where somebody, I don't know who they are, I've never seen them before, but they have thousands of followers on YouTube, so clearly they're doing something. And they made a video basically just lambasting armor class in D&D. And the video, I mean, I'm sure it was trying to be funny more than anything, but it was very, you know, sarcastic and sort of, uh, you know, putting down... D&D and the combat system and how dumb it was. And then this video specifically was regarding armor class and how it makes absolutely no sense that armor class would make you harder to hit if you're wearing heavier armor. And that that is, in fact, the opposite of what reality would show, that if you're wearing big, heavy armor, you'd be more likely to be able to be hit. And then it used some, some examples. I found some faults with the video. I definitely found some faults with the attitude and how it was was presented. So I've made a comment that this video was silly and pointless because we're not trying to model reality with D&D because if so, then we need to work in dragons and magic missiles and fireballs and none of that was covered. So clearly that it doesn't make any sense. And I posted that comment probably six, seven weeks ago. I mean, I, I posted it honestly, I kind of had forgotten about it. And then just a few days ago, out of nowhere, I got a comment back, which then alerted me through my phone that someone had responded to my comment. And the person was, I mean, they weren't like like an a-hole, but they were pretty much like, well, your comment's actually stupid and pointless. And they went on to explain how the video was correct and that armor class doesn't make sense because wearing heavier armor would make you easier to hit. And they used the example of uh, Jaraxel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, from the Dritz novels. Uh, that if you know if you put a farmer in plate armor, they're harder to hit than a trained warrior would be not wearing any armor at all, and how that doesn't make sense. Okay, so he and I, I assume it's a he based on the the photo, went back and forth several times, and I will say that I really thought this person was just confused. Like, and, and I'm still not a hundred percent sure. I, I, at this point, I kind of believe they were just trolling and they were just trying to get me riled up. But there was a part of me that thought, well, maybe they just don't understand my argument. So I kept trying to restate it and use analogies and metaphors to try to explain my point. And it never really got to that point. And eventually this person just got very insulting uh, towards me directly. So I pretty much just blocked them and and that was the end of it. But my argument is that he is not incorrect. Wearing heavier armor probably in reality would actually make you easier to hit. But it makes you harder to damage. Unless, and then you got to get into like weapon types, you know, bludgeoning versus piercing versus slicing. 
And my argument was that as a whole, it does make sense in the context of D&D. If you have a game that includes things like levels and abilities and feats and spells and hit points, all of which are abstractions to try to model a combat system that is mechanically balanced, at least enough that the game is fair, that making an armor class based off of the type of armor you're wearing makes sense because it's only a part of the puzzle. There's, there's all these other things. And, and one of the analogies I use is it would be like taking one piece of a puzzle and saying, this puzzle is dumb because this piece does not look like a cat. The box says this puzzle looks like a cat, but this piece does not look like a cat. And that was kind of my argument that no, but as a whole, it makes sense and is balanced. So you like to disagree with me. So Caleb, am I reading the situation wrong? Okay, so I did not observe the actual back-and-forth comments here. So I am basing my response off of your story, which may or may not be 100% true. But it probably is true. I'm attempting to, to give fair. I'm not, I mean, I do think he's incorrect, but maybe I'm, my viewpoint is messed up. So I want, I want your honest opinion. Well, the bottom line is the rules in Dungeons & Dragons are rules to a game. They are not a translation of reality. It's a, it's a simulation. So when we say that this one particular part of the rules might not make logical sense, that's true. Because none of the rules make logical sense. We are playing pretend, and because we're grown-ups, we've decided that we need rules to help us play pretend. In that light, AC makes perfect sense because it's part of this balanced mechanic. There are plenty of other games out there that have a different take on defense, armor, agility, evasion, that kind of thing. And all of those systems are valid within themselves. And to be perfectly honest, there's a lot of systems out there where armor and defense make a lot more logical sense than Dungeons & Dragons. They're a little bit closer to simulating reality. However, Dungeons & Dragons is its own thing. It exists to do a certain thing. It simulates reality in a certain way. With that in mind, AC works totally fine within the confines of Dungeons & Dragons. AC works because of how the rest of Dungeons & Dragons works. The fact that it's a level-based system. The fact that there are different weapon types. The fact that there are different types of spells and abilities and class-based progression. All of that is a factor. Your example about the puzzle, Michael, is, is pretty much correct. You can't just take one piece out of Dungeons and Dragons and say this one thing is horrible and it's totally wrong because Dungeons and Dragons is an entity unto itself. All of the moving pieces work together to create Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, AC is a very abstract, sometimes confusing principle. We've talked about this a ton of times in the past, specifically in fifth edition, AC 
is almost less specifically armor, and it's also a little bit about how you avoid an attack, or possibly it could also translate to your stamina of avoiding multiple attacks. There's a lot of different ways to interpret what this one abstract armor class thing means. And then if we really wanted to go crazy, we could look backwards at all the other editions of Dungeons and & Dragons and find out that armor class really means a different thing in almost every single system. Because each of those parts is part of that mechanical system, and each of those mechanical systems or additions exists on its own. So, for the most part, you're right, Michael. Yay! <laughs> so again, it sounds like you and I are pretty much on the same page. We're not saying this person is incorrect. Armor class doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's also not a poor design choice because within the rules of the game, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I kind of use the example too. It's like Monopoly. Monopoly doesn't make any sense. I roll a die, I land on a property, and I can buy it. That's not how real estate works. But if you're going to play Monopoly, that's the rules that you that you play by because it allows the game to be fair somewhat uh you know same thing like if you roll doubles you get to roll again that doesn't make sense either but it's a rule that was in the part of the game and that's just how the game works and my argument wasn't with the facts of that video it was the way they were presented and i thought they did a disservice to the game as a whole there are definitely other games that model combat much more realistically and good on them but i guess in the day i was trying to say is don't don't blast anything, and in this case, D&D, for not doing something it's not trying to do. If it said, we have the most realistic combat of, uh, you know, system in the world, then yeah, you're right. That is, that is incorrect. But if you say we have a pretty well-balanced game that, that works within the rules, that's what we did, then, then no, that argument doesn't make sense. It's like in past episodes when I've said, I don't like 5th edition, but within the confines of 5th edition, it is a very balanced and well-written system. All right, so with me vindicated, at least somewhat, we will move on. A couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to record, and it was a pretty short notice. Like, we, <laughs> the way we do things around here, peek behind the curtain, it's often somewhat chaotic. Uh, but we do, on occasion, have the opportunity to plan out uh, sessions you know, week or two in advance. Hey, we're going to record, you know, two Sundays from today, and this is what I want to talk about. So we both have an opportunity to think about it. Well, that that isn't what happened recently. It was a very short notice. It just worked out. You and I both had the opportunity, so we got, got together really quickly. So I had thrown out some prompts on our social media platforms asking for suggestions for topics, and we had a couple that uh, that came in. They weren't things that we wanted to talk about that day, but I wanted to touch on them now. One, to thank the people who responded, because we really appreciate that. So first off, uh, Nicholas, who's actually one of our patrons, wanted us to talk about running a published module. Now, this is something Caleb and I do want to talk about at length at some point in time, because I think we have uh, a take on this that might, might be worth listening to. But it's not something we can do right now. And we also know that some of our friends in the podcasting world have very recently done this. So if that is something you are interested in, we would want to direct you to our friends at NPCCast. Caleb, do you have that info? Yeah. Back on February 13th of this year, uh, the NPC cast did an episode specifically about running a published module. So I listened to that episode, and there is very little that they covered that I would disagree with or just maybe have a, a different take on. 
So I don't know that we need to do one of those right away. And if anyone were to ask me, in this case they did, I would certainly say, listen to that. And that's pretty much got you covered. At some point in time, we'll probably still do the Michael Caleb coverage just because it, it might come out a little bit differently. But I absolutely have no fault with anything they covered. And then over on Google Plus, we had Jeremiah, who actually sent us several topics, um, one of which is social contract. And similar to running a module, some of our friends in the podcasting world have already kind of taken a, a swing at that. And both of them, I thought, did a very good job. Caleb? Yeah, uh, both of these were from last year, 2015. Total Party Thrill did an episode on October 15, and RPG Academy Network member Sharkbone did an episode on June 26. And I have listened to both of those episodes and would say that between them, they've, they have also covered the topic very, very well. But Jeremiah had two other topics that he wanted us to talk about, and I do think these are worthy of at least a little bit of time today and perhaps more time in the future. So one of them was diversity in gaming. And this is something that I actually have a lot of interest in discussing in depth, but there's a problem. See, I'm a white straight dude. Caleb, are you a white straight dude? Last time I checked. So while I do have some opinions about diversity and I strive to have diversity and I think it's something we need, I don't feel like we have the moral authority to talk about that in depth since neither of us would fall into minority categories. It's something that we've talked about doing as a network because we, as a network, we do have a little bit more diversity, but still not as, as much as I would like. So I just don't feel like I really should cover this topic until I have had an opportunity to have a guest on or multiple guests, maybe a panel that would more model the type of diversity that we're looking for. If anyone is fairly new and maybe they just don't know yet, Caleb and I, as long as, as well with the RPG Academy and Acaticon, we strive to be inclusive. We want gamers of all types. We could care less about the color of your skin, your religion, sexual orientation, self-identification. None of that matters. We just want people to have fun playing games and everyone is welcome at our table. Do you have anything else you want to add on that, Caleb? Well, I definitely agree with you. You're absolutely right. And that is the opinion that... Everyone on the RPG Academy network shares. We are an inclusive look at the hobby. Uh, I very much would like to explore this topic when we have some people who can share more accurate opinions and experiences. I think we could also, if we wanted to go really crazy, dig into diversity within the game world. Because it's really two different topics, even though they're very closely related. So that might be a big two-part episode we have in the future. Maybe we can do a panel on it. I think there's a lot of interesting conversation that could be had uh, on this topic. And given the current philosophical, political, and world that we live in, this is a pretty hot-button topic that we can all that we that we all have a lot of different opinions on. It's very important in the world is what I'm getting at in my rambly kind of way there. No, and I again I completely agree. I one of the things that we do and and we do this a lot and I, I've caught ourselves doing it mostly because I edit it, but when we talk about the game, we almost always default to a male pronoun. So we say the DM, we say he, if we say player he, you know, if we're just randomly saying so if if player X he does this. 
And we've started to catch ourselves and we've tried to do he or she. And, you know, sometimes we, we will, you know, try to do that. It's like an intentional thing on our part. We tried to be more diverse. But I think that just with my experiences and who I am, I default to that. And that's not not a good thing, not a bad thing. That's just the, the, the fact that I'm aware of it. I do strive for that. Uh, I know other podcasts do this as well. And then just in the game itself, I try not to just default to a male whenever the you know players inter- interact with someone in the game. I try to include women characters and minority characters in in all different facets of uh, you know who they are, and not just white male dudes everywhere they go. But a lot of times, just by default, if I'm on the fly, it will generally be a male. Well, that's kind of the habit we have. For the, you're in your forties, I'm in my thirties. This is the world that we grew up in, grammatically the male pronoun is the accepted default. Look at movies, look at television. Pretty much everywhere is pretty streamlined and similar when it comes to gender and race. Within the past couple years, five years, that environment has really started to change. Media might be a little bit behind. Some parts of media are more progressive than others, but our world is changing. It's hard to break habits, though. And even though we're talking about this, we're acknowledging this, we're recognizing this, it's a learning process. I mean, go back to when we've talked in the past about how we have evolved in our habits of running a game. It's taken years to learn how to do something new. It takes years to develop a new habit or to learn a new skill. What we're talking about here is learning a new way of thinking, a new way of reacting, of responding to people. It's not a switch that we can just flip, but it's something that we know has to happen. That being said, yes, we are not perfect on this show. We certainly try. Unfortunately, in a lot of our actual play games, It's four white dudes sitting around the table. So we're kind of uh, living within our habits and trying to push ourselves secondarily. But we're trying. And I think it's important to recognize the attempt and we're talking about it and keeping it at the forefront of discourse and discussion and our choices on this show and in our games. That's the only way real change is going to happen. We have to talk about it, we have to recognize it, and we have to make an effort. I think we're very lucky to have the She's a Super Geek podcast as part of our network. Uh, I think that they are definitely helping making strides into this development for us as a group and for the hobby in general. Well, I'm happy to have them part of the network just in general because I think they're awesome, but for that as well. Uh, but one thing we probably will touch on a little bit later when we get to your campaign is that in Wrought Iron, I am playing a female character. And uh, we've had this once before. Scott was playing a female in our 13th Age games. And I think other than that, we have always played the same gender whenever we played a game. I can't think of any other examples. And And you and I had some conversations about that before we even started that game. I was concerned one, that I would do a poor job because I, I don't want the fact that I'm playing a female character to be a joke. I'm a very jokey person and I like to make 
jokes at the table. I like to make people laugh, but I don't want the fact that I'm playing a girl to be the joke. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to make jokes as a female character. And I was worried that I would do a very poor job and I would represent myself and the game poorly. Uh, I decided at the end of the day to try it, but uh, I'm still I'm still concerned about that. There are decisions that I've made with a character as the game goes on that I'm worried about how they will be perceived. And uh, and I know the first couple episodes, which was with the first session, I tried to do kind of a voice, which I mean, as we know, I do amazing voices. And I kind of got away from that I, because I don't want the voice to be so bad that it's funny either. Because again, I'm not trying to make that the joke. I was just trying to, you know, lower my voice a little bit. Or I should say raise my voice, even though it's a dwarf. I don't know why I should, I could just use my normal voice, but I try to do something a little bit different just so it was clear when I was talking as, as army versus talking as Michael. And I've, again, between the first couple episodes and then the newer ones, I've done that less and less one, because it wasn't a very good attempt, but two, I don't know. It, just, it felt false to me. So Back to what Caleb said, it is something we're aware of, and it's something that we would like to think that we are helping, but in our current model with majority white straight dudes on the podcast, I just don't think we have the experience necessary to dive into the topic with any authority. But I do appreciate the suggestion, Jeremiah, and, uh, and hopefully someday soon we will be able to better model that. And then Jeremiah also had one other topic, which was the X card. And this is something we have talked about at some point in the past, but I know that we have some newer listeners and maybe not everyone has had the opportunity or has the fortitude to go back and listen to every episode. So we will quickly touch on this as well. If you're not familiar, uh, the X card idea, I guess, is something that I learned about recently where if you're playing in a game and there is any chance of a sensitive topic something that might be a trigger for somebody else. Uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. But it's just something that might make something, someone uncomfortable that you have every player has a card and it could be an orange card, a red card. It could literally be a card with an X on it. It could just be a hold up your hand and say, hey, I'm, I'm done with this, whatever. But it's sort of a no questions asked pass that if you're uncomfortable, you do the thing and then the scene fades to black. Wherever you're at in the scene, it's just over and then you pick up the scene on the other side, dealing with the aftermath of that. Have, Caleb, have you ever had any experience with that card or used it, or what are your thoughts about it? Well, my thoughts about it are that it is a very important part of a game, especially at a convention or when you're playing with people you might not be familiar and comfortable with. I think that this is something that everyone sitting at a game table needs to be welcome to accepting because not everybody is the same and everybody has different things that are uncomfortable to them for whatever reason. And because at the RPG Academy, our focus is always having fun and enjoying the game, we specifically do not want the content of a role play or the game itself to ruin that opportunity to have fun. So in that light, yes, this X card concept is very important. Now, there's a lot of times where you have to use common sense when going into a game. If you are at a convention, if you are picking something up that you haven't read before or are just looking around the internet for new games, a lot of times games tell you what they're about and what their content is right off the bat. 
if you're at a convention, a lot of times there are things that say this is an adult game. This might have adult content, that kind of thing. If you walk into a game that says, hey, this is a game where we're going to talk about sexual activity and violence and there's going to be some disturbing scenery, use your common sense. If that's not something that is fun for you or you think might be uncomfortable, don't play that game. That's pretty simple. There, there's responsibility on both sides of this topic is what I'm saying here. You shouldn't walk into a game and expect it to bend to your will. On the same side, uh, you should not walk into a game and be totally blindsided by what's happening either. You might walk into a game that is just a regular Dungeons & Dragons game, and the other people at the table who all know each other and are all comfortable with each other decide to take the roleplay in a way that you might not like. You didn't know that. You weren't prepared for that. You have the right in that case to say, well, guys, this isn't something I'm comfortable with. But everyone at the table has a right to have fun and do what they enjoy. This is going back to that whole social contract thing that we touched on very briefly and we'll talk about more in the future. It's kind of a very thin ice situation. Uh, it's very easy to cross the line. It's very hard to rebuild that line when it's broken. So all that being said, the X card is definitely a good idea. In any games I have played, it has never come up, but it has been a topic that has been recognized in that it exists in a game. Specifically, the Shadow of the Demon Lords game that I am part of with uh, the guys over at Sharkbone that Christopher is running. That was made clear that that exists in this game, and he even made some very specific guidelines in the first gaming session. This is... These are topics that I will not allow. These are topics that we will avoid. This is okay, but this is crossing the line. So I think that's totally fine. Now, on a personal note, I don't care. I may not be 100% accurate in this, but I don't really have any kind of situations that are too far for me. Especially when I'm playing a game because I'm playing pretend. And I play pretend to escape the reality of the world. And if that escape takes a somewhat disturbing or weird or crazy kind of turn, that's part of playing the game. And at some point, I can say, all right, the game is over. That part of pretend is done. It doesn't exist. I'm myself. I'm in the real world. And we're fine. So... I personally don't care. Some things might be a little bit weird to deal with or might strike an accord with a, a personal thought I might have, but it's part of playing the game. So because of that, I, I don't want to restrict myself or what happens at the game. I want to dive into the game and really just let whatever happens, happens. So I'm going to share a little bit here. Um kind of my personal take on some things. But I want to start by saying that when I first heard about the concept of the X card, I was very dismissive about it. I, you know, I 
I still wasn't very involved in the community of role-playing games. I'd always played pretty much with my friends and at my house. I, again, I had never gone to a convention when uh, when we started the podcast and uh, and everything. So there was sort of an arrogance that I brought to the table that, you know, I clearly didn't need the X card. It seemed like something uh, silly to me. And it, you know, it was a while before I realized that it's not about me. Like, yeah, I don't need it or I didn't need it, I should say. But that doesn't mean that everyone else or or that anyone else didn't. Um, you know, and, and even with me, things have changed. Um, I have featured in my games for a long time what I would consider adult content. And, and I'd try to stay away from graphic depictions of, of violence or sexuality. Uh, but those elements are, are in my game. You know, good, good people are hurt in my game. Bad things happen to good people in my games. Uh, sometimes even children. Again, I stay away from the graphic nature of it, but I've, ha- I've put kids in peril and those kids don't always come out of it. Uh, and it's a technique that I use, and it's kind of ham-fisted, but it works to get people, players, to not like somebody, uh, not like an NPC. They do something bad to an innocent person. Clearly, they're evil. It helps helps them get emotional about the scene and, you know, feel some real emotion about, about the game. But I have found that as now that I'm a parent, I am much more sensitive to children being put in peril, even in the fictional ways, that it affects me differently. Um, I still am okay with it, but it gives me a little bit more pause than it certainly would before. Uh, But more specifically, uh, and, you know, some of our longer-term listeners probably already know this, but I I recently lost my mother. It was very sudden. It was very unexpected. uh, And, you know, tragic would be obviously the word. And I have now found that since then, because it's been less than a year, that um, if I see scenes like in a TV movie that depicts a scenario similar to the way that my mother passed, it really affects me. And uh, there was a situation not that long ago where my wife actually had a question about like a plot line. Like, I love my wife to death. She's super smart. But she's the type of person that can't remember who the bad guy was from the beginning of the movie. And so she asked me to come in. I was actually editing the podcast. She said, hey, come here. And she showed me a scene of a TV show because she had a question about sort of a plot element. And she didn't quite understand it. And the scene that she showed me was a very graphic depiction of what happened to my mother. And it destroyed me. Like, I just stood there and it was... It was awful. And I mean, I started breaking down. I started crying. And, you know, she realized it, what she had done. And obviously she didn't mean to do it. But but I can completely see now where someone who's not me could have an involuntary and averse reaction to something that happens in a game. And even though I did not need an X card, and even now I probably still don't need an X card, it's not about me. It's about other people. And it's just common courtesy that if you're playing with people you don't know, that you offer that. It it should be a standard part of the game, really in any avenue, but particularly in a convention setting or a game store setting, or just anytime you don't know someone that's now sitting at your table, I think it's just common courtesy to say, hey, these are the types of elements that are going to be present in this game. You need to know that going in. But even though I want to have those in my game, if at any time anybody needs us to draw the veil, this is a judgment-free zone. 
raise your hand, show the card, whatever you need to do. And absolutely, we will respect everyone's right to not want to deal with something in this game that's supposed to be fun. So hopefully that will put a little bit of perspective on it that, yeah, maybe I still don't need the next card. But again, it's not about me. It's about the people who do need that. This is supposed to be a fun hobby. And at any time it becomes not fun, then we're doing something wrong. And that would include making someone deal with an emotional situation that they're not ready, prepared, or willing to participate in. And just to kind of put a bow on this, uh, this is a quote I heard from another podcast, not even a gaming podcast, just another one I happened to listen to. Everyone has the right to be offended, but no one has the right to not be offended. You always have full right to say, this is something that bothers me. I do not want to be part of it. That's your right as a human being. However, you don't necessarily have the right to say, my own personal feelings and beliefs need to control this entire situation. There's a very fine line between the two. And that's why, as Michael said, especially in a, in a public venue at a convention, this type of X card thing is very important. It's very important to use common sense and know what type of game you're walking into. And if you feel there's a risk, maybe not being part of that game. But you also have the right, if you want to be part of a game, to be able to say, hey, stop, pump the brakes. This is not something I'm comfortable playing. I still want to continue, but this particular thing is going to bother me. And that's why this X card thing is very valuable, because it frees you from explaining. And in a public situation where explaining might be just as bad as experiencing, this X card is just a carte blanche, stop, skip, go to the next scene. And just to take it in a slightly different direction, um, it's okay to walk away. Uh, I don't think you should have to walk away. I think that that's what we're trying to get across here is that you have the right to be offended. You have the right to be upset. And you, the people you're playing with should should be willing to recognize that and make some accommodations so that everyone can have fun. But back when I went to Origins for the first time, which uh, was a couple years ago, and I think we did an episode about it, I got into a game that I hated. Wasn't offended by it. Wasn't triggered by it. It just wasn't a fun game. And I had never experienced that before because I'd only ever gone to one convention before. This is my second ever experience. And I kind of suffered through the whole thing and I tried to be myself, but I'm sure I wasn't as much. And I'm sure in a lot of ways, I probably made other people have less fun because I wasn't having fun. And if I had to do it over again, I would have left. I've just been like, this isn't the game for me, guys. Have a good time. And I would have walked away and everyone would have had a better time because of it. And it didn't even strike me as I could do that until after the fact I was talking to someone and they're like, why, why did you finish that game? You had a miserable time. I'm like, I don't know. I just, it felt like rude to get up and walk away but that is always the option. And you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be the nuclear option where you stand up, flip the table, say F you to everybody. Just go, you know what, guys? And again, do it again. Hey, players, people, this isn't the game for me. I'm going to go ahead and go find something else to do. And it will make everyone happier. But again, you don't have to do that. That's not something that you have to do because you feel like you're not welcome. That's a different situation. I'm saying if you're not having fun, there's no need to stick around and suffer through it. 
So with all of that out of the way, but again, thank you both to Jeremiah and to Nicholas. We really appreciate when people respond back to us and answer questions and leave comments. It really is helpful to us. Uh, But we're going to move on to sort of the meat of the episode for today, and that is going to be about starting your own campaign world. And as we started at the top, we're going to use Caleb's new campaign world based in the Wrought Iron game as kind of an example to, to pull from. If you are not aware, Caleb has been writing companion pieces to the episodes of Wrought Iron as they've been released, because I know we have a lot of people who are subscribed to us, but they may not actually go to the website. Uh, Those are coming out on the website fairly recently to when the episodes come out. There's been three episodes and three articles so far. Uh, And some of the stuff we may talk about here may duplicate that a little bit. I don't know for sure, but it's definitely something you should check out. So I'll just ask big picture, Caleb, why did you feel the need to create your own world? Why are we not just playing in generic world X or, you know, Forgotten Realms or Eberron? Like, why why did you feel the need or what purpose did it serve for you to say, no, hey, I'm going to create everything from scratch? The short and sweet answer is I have never used an established world for a game. I've always started with generic fantasy world and added in all the details and facts that I need to make my own story. Part of that is because I'm fairly ignorant to the facts of these other campaign settings. I have not memorized the books for Eberron or any of the other worlds that are out there. I've read them, I've gone through them, but I haven't connected with them to a degree where I've said, I love the structure of this world, and I want to write or create a story within that structure. So part of it is ignorance, and part of it is I just haven't found something that I love so much that I want to create within it. But part of it also is I really enjoy the creative freedom to a homebrew world. I love walking into a game and creating with my players something fun and unique. I think it gives players the opportunity to not just say, okay, I'm a fighter, I'm a wizard, I'm in generic fantasy world, and I'm going to kill some dragons. It gives players the opportunity to say, my fighter has a connection to this world that I am creating. I'm part of this school. I'm from this family. Now, some people can get that creation and excitement from picking something out of a book. Eberron has all the different families and the dragon marks and all that kind of stuff. It's really easy to create a detailed, connected story to the world by using those facts. And that's super fun, and that's awesome. I've just never played in a game like that. I've never had fun doing it. I've never really had the opportunity I'm sure if someone sat down and said, I'm going to run an awesome game in Eberron. Here's what you need to do to pick a great character and write a great backstory. I could do it and love every second of it. But in my own games, I like starting from scratch. I like telling players, okay, you want to be a fighter. You trained. You were a noble. Tell me more. Tell me who your parents are. Tell me about the land. Tell me about the school. And maybe I'm sitting down with you, Michael, or Scott, or Matthew, and and we all know how to bounce off each other. We all know how to create. I could tell any single one of you, give me 10 pages on a backstory, and you'd hand me 20. No problem. 
Some people might not be willing to do that, though, or might not feel comfortable or might not feel like they have the skills to do that. So walking into a homebrew game might be a little bit scary. But I feel that's where the give and take between me and them comes in. If I say, hey, tell me about your wizard. Where did she learn how to cast magic? And the player might say, well, I don't know. I guess she went to wizard school. Maybe her parents taught there. I don't know. I can go back and forth and say, okay, well, what if this happened? What if they grew up there? What if they moved there from another continent? And I can kind of share this back and forth of how we create details. And that makes the world more fun. I like doing that. So a very long answer to say I did it because I wanted to and I liked it. And I think that's a that's a good enough answer for most people. My take on this uh, is similar to yours. And, I, and I've touched on this several times myself that I don't know that much about the world. Like, I really like Eberron, and I've read novels set in Eberron, and I have almost every 3.5 book of Eberron. I still don't know that I know it well enough to run it and not mess things up and not go, oh, actually, no, this wouldn't be like that because of this thing that happened over here. So for me, it's easier to just start from nothing because I can start by creating what I need, which is usually one town, one village, one city, one bad guy, one area, whatever. And then as the game progresses, we can expand and build from there. And that's not saying in completeness that it's easier. It's just easier for me because it's still work. It's still hard to do that. And other people might enjoy having this encyclopedic knowledge about Eberron and trying to find all the different information so that they build their character, it, it makes it feel like it's part of something that actually already exists. So I think it just is a, it's a different type of enjoyment. Some people enjoy taking something that exists and finding their place within it. And other people enjoy starting from nothing and creating something that they will then become a part of. So I don't think there's any right or wrong answer as to doing it. I was just curious as to why. So we now know why. So where did you start from? Like, where, What was the original kernel of an idea? And then we're going to talk about how it changed once you started bringing us as players into the equation. Well, here's the thing. I don't think any ideas existed until we started talking about this as a group. The creation process for Rot Iron... And this is something I talked about in the first companion piece, which I titled Episode Zero. This was, in my opinion, absolutely a collaborative creation. When we started Wrought Iron, we started with a pitch meeting. We each pitched three or four generic back-of-the-cover descriptions of a campaign. And... We said, okay, what's going to be our next actual play? Let's look at these pitches. Let's weigh them out. What's the best story? What's the most exciting for us? What do we think is the most entertaining for listeners? And we ended up picking Wrought Iron. Now, at that point in time, Wrought Iron was the pitch I had written, which was a paragraph, if that. And it was two ideas. It was the opening scene, and it was the big event that happens in about the middle of the campaign. Nothing more. I had an idea of what was going to happen towards the end, but I do not have, I did not, and I do not yet have a plan for that ending yet. It was just a very vague, here's how I want the story to start. 
here's how I need the story to develop, and then whatever happens, happens. So I did not walk into our preparation for Wrought Iron with a world in mind. That all came up during our planning extended multiple month session zero. (laughs) Um, I don't even remember who first pitched the idea about having this be a dwarf world and having... Well, you know, really, even at this point in the episodes that have been released, all the facts haven't come out about the world that we created. So I don't want to give that away yet. But there are certain elements of this world that I did not create. I did not bring to the table. I honestly want to say, Michael, either you or Scott probably created them. And we just all went from there. You said, hey, what what about this? What if this happened? And we said, yeah, that's great. And then what if this is how it got there? And then what if this happens next? So this might not be a good example for this topic because, one, we can't talk about all of it, and two, I didn't do any of it. You guys did. (laughs) Okay, Michael here. I'm going to jump in. Caleb and I went on on this sort of conversational track for about another half hour. And as I'm going back and listening, I realized that both of us were being a little too guarded regarding our campaigns that were running he wrought iron i dark discovery and in trying to not divulge anything that might be spoilers for people who are potentially listening we kind of kept ourselves from giving what we really wanted to give uh, our listeners in advice on how to you know create your own campaign world and like in the process that we go through when we do that so i've spoken to caleb and we are going to just basically stop this at this point uh, the rest of the conversations just gone it, it really kind of rambled and meandered it really wasn't that interesting if you are listening to those actual plays it might have given you a little bit of insight but but we actually could have done a better job of that type of episode as well so we're going to table the topic <laughs> see what i did there and we're actually going to hit it again next episode and we're going to come to the table prepared with more actionable advice on how you can actually go about building a campaign world and and giving sort of uh, information about how we both did that. Uh, And we're going to do it in a way that will allow us to give what we hope is more valuable information and also stay away from any potential spoilers. So I do apologize for that. We did want to scrap the entire episode because I really feel like our conversation on diversity and the X card was stuff I wanted people to hear. I think it's important information for people to hear. So we're going to just table that for now. And then our next episode will be all about creating your own campaign world. And then what I would ask, if there's anyone out there who is particularly interested in that topic, go ahead and send us in questions. This episode is going to come out tomorrow, April 5th. We are not going to be able to record the next episode at, at least until the following Sunday, around the 10th or so. Uh, So we've got a few days. If you listen to this and you're like, hey, I do want to create my own campaign world or I've thought about it or I did it in the past and this worked or this didn't, please send us those comments in and we will try to incorporate them as best we can into our conversation. So very sorry uh, about the interruption, but trust me, at the end of the day, this will make for a better episode next time. Uh, We do not have any new reviews to read this week, but I do want to mention that uh, we do have now more than 10 New reviews since we started our contest. So if you're not aware, we are having a contest right now for every 10 new reviews on either iTunes or Stitcher Radio. We are going to do a giveaway at Gen Con of basically 30 bucks 
and in a Catacon badge. So the contest is open to anyone. It does not have to be someone who wrote a review in the past or who wrote one of the new reviews. Once we get to that point where we want to give the prizes away, we will open it up and say, hey, enter, and you can then enter. And if you are drawn from that entrance, you're going to get 30 bucks at Gen Con, and you're going to get a free badge to a Catacon. So we've now hit more than 10, so we, we're going to give one and one of those away for every 10 that we get, up to a maximum of five. So again, if we got 50 reviews, we'll be very happy with that uh, between now and July 15th, I believe. Uh, so without having any new reviews to read, we will move into our exciting Catacon news. Caleb, what's exciting about a Catacon this week? Well, it's happening. Let's start with that. Today's April 3rd, so the Kickstarter at the time of this recording is 18 days away. Yep. So that's super freaking exciting. We also are still continuing our conversation with different vendors, uh, different people who might be sponsors. We are really trying to, for better or worse, step up our game from a Catacon last year. Uh, really, we're just making more work for ourselves, but we think it's going to be just a better convention for you guys. Scratch that. We know it's going to be a better convention for you guys. Uh, and that being said, we have just started a conversation with a brand new participant in a catacon called Double Exposure. Uh, this is actually a really cool program that is going to let you learn some new board games and then potentially win those board games to take home with you. Okay, so essentially I was speaking with Avenel, who uh, is on Twitter, and I got partnered up with her, and she is representative of a, the company called Double Exposure. And essentially, they are going to provide us a whole bunch of games. And these are going to be brand new games just before Catacon launches in November that we are going to have the ability to give away. But it's not just a straight raffle. In this, basically, it's promotion for them and for the companies they represent that we are going to have the opportunity to let people learn to play the game. And when you sit down and you play the game, you get a ticket for that game. So we're, going to have, we're still going to have our prize raffle like we did last year. We're gathering prizes right now. But we're also going to be able to supplement that with all these games that are going to be available to play all weekend long. And every time you play it, you get another ticket. So the more times you play it, the more likely you are to win. But it also gives us, one, multiple more prizes. It's going to be somewhere between 20 and 30 board games. It, just, it depends on a few factors, but somewhere in that neighborhood. In addition to our other prize giveaway, it's also going to give us a lot more things to do. People will have the opportunity to sit down and play these games. It's sort of a pick up and go. And I just, I'm super excited about it. I think it's a way, it's a great partnership for us because it gives our guests, which hopefully will be you, more things to do with less of a cost. It also gives us more prizes to give away with, again, without costing us anything. And it helps these vendors because more people get to learn about their games, which is why it's a good partnership. We, we get something and they get something in return. So super excited about that. So again, Catacon is shaping up to be bigger and better than before. And then the last thing is we completed our video. It's done, and it's okay. It's pretty. It's pretty okay. What when you say it's pretty okay, Caleb? It's pretty okay. I would say on a scale from eh to pretty okay, we're at about a seven. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, as we said before, Chris from NPC Cast did us a solid last year. He, he just took over and did it all for us. This year, I have been playing around with iMovie as we start to explore more and more YouTube content. So I did it myself. 
and I don't think I did quite as good of a job, but I also, I'm, I'm really happy with it. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm happy with it, but I know that if I were to have paid someone or someone like Chris who should have gotten paid last year and we just could, couldn't have any money, it could be better, but I'm still happy with it. And I'm happy that we did it. It's, it fits a catacomb because it's ours, good and bad. It's ours. With that in mind, I'm very happy with the video because we figured out how to do it ourselves. Yes, and most likely it'll be the last one because our goal is to not go to back to Kickstarter next year. Even though Kickstarter was great for us that first year, I anticipate it will be great for us this year. Uh, the long-term plans of a Catacon do not involve Kickstarter funding in the future. Hopefully we have enough support this year. This, this becomes things uh, something that people want to do over and over again, and we can just open up for ticket sales like many of the other conventions that you already know about, and we can just gather the money through badge sales and through donations and support and vendors that we don't need to go through the process of a Kickstarter. So hopefully this is the last time I'll have to do that. But if it is, I'm still happy with it. So there you go. The Acaticon 2016 Kickstarter is going to launch on April 21st at some... 2 p.m. 2, p 2 p.m. I was going to say at some point in the morning, but I've just been corrected to 2 p.m. Yes, because I'm going to go to work and then tell them I'm sick and then come home at lunchtime and then launch the Kickstarter. Are you sure we should make that announcement on the radio that no one else listens to? <laughs> I'm going to go to work... And then I'm going to take a half-day vacation, and then I'm going to come home and start the Kickstarter. There we go. I like that better. So, breaking news, April 21st, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, a Catacon 2016 leveling up will launch on Kickstarter. So, for Caleb, this is Michael, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at therpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. 
and you can find my favorite co-host Michael at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>